0: Welcome to Party Like a Marketer, the podcast dedicated to in depth conversations with cannabis and CBD marketers who are breaking down stigma and changing the game of cannabis communications. Today, we're talking to Hope Wiseman, the founder and CEO of Marion Maine, a medical dispensary in Maryland. Born and raised in Prince George's County, Maryland, Hope Wiseman has always been passionate about serving her community. In 2014, Hope graduated with an economics degree from the number one historically black college and university, Spelman College in Atlanta. While on campus, Hope served her prestigious college community with several leadership roles in campus organizations, such as serving as the president of the economics club and co-founding her college's first Habitat for Humanity chapter. After spending a little over a year at SunTrust as an equity institutional sales analyst, Hope decided to continue striving for excellence by pursuing her dream of entrepreneurship. With her financial and banking background, Hope founded her company, CHA Inc., on the foundation of her vision to create opportunities for minorities who have been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs. In 2016, Hope became the youngest Black woman dispensary owner in the United States with her company, CHA when it was awarded a dispensary license in the 25th District of Maryland. This title has garnered her much national success that has led to media placements and speaking engagements around the country. Marion Main Dispensary opened in Prince George's County, Maryland in fall of 2018 and has had continuous growth ever since. Over the past three years, Hope Wiseman has worked alongside her mother, a dentist by trade, to grow her business and brand in the cannabis industry. During this time, she has faced confusion and skepticism from friends and family who have negative connotations about marijuana, although she continues to raise awareness about the positive effects it will soon have on minority communities. Constantly breaking the stoner stigma and the negativity that comes with it, Wiseman continues to raise awareness and educate her community about the positive impact that cannabis can have on America's economy and its communities. Hope has a strong desire to cultivate more research and development surrounding cannabis. She has often said that once the dismissive connotation of cannabis has been dissolved, communities will have the opportunity to heal and economically prosper.
1: Hello, Hope, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. So we're excited and our viewers are excited to hear about your story, you know, how you got here um, and to learn more about Mary in Maine and what you do. So let's, let's first kind of talk about Hope, um, who Hope is, and tell us a little bit about yourself and particularly, um, you know, what you were doing before you got into cannabis.
2: Yeah, so um, I was born and raised in Prince George's County, where our store is right now went to high school actually uh, 10 minutes up the street from where the store is. My mom uh, is a dental, uh, she's a dentist and owns her own dental practice. And her original practice location was like five minutes on the same street really that we are located on. So, you know, it's really, uh, it, it's, it came full circle, but I was born and raised here in Prince George's County. And I went away to school to Atlanta I attended Spelman College, and I was an economics major, um, interning at investment banks all throughout college, and then I ended up working in investment banking um, post-graduation. I was doing equity institutional sales, so I was selling stock research to hedge fund managers and mutual fund managers. Um, And, you know, I really liked my job, but that's around that time where the year I graduated and the year I was working full-time right out of school was the year that I really got introduced to the cannabis industry. Um, That was around 2014.
1: Nice. So your background is in finance. Yeah. Okay, cool. So tell me a little bit about that introduction to cannabis. What, you know, what was it? Did you have an aha moment? And, um, you know, what kind of what preceded the jump from finance and and what you were doing to to this space?
2: Yeah, so I had just graduated, right, and I was definitely thinking I was I was raised with an entrepreneurial spirit for sure. I was raised with um, that type of mindset and always looking outside of the box and looking how I can build things. So um, I just graduated; my degree was in economics, and I was working in finance. So I was really all about the markets and how things were working and you know, how a new emerging industries. So 2014 was around the time that cannabis started becoming mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's seeing like Dr. Gupta was doing his uh, series on seizures and CBD oil and cannabis as a whole. Um, you were seeing cannabis start to be uh, recognized on major publications like Time Magazine, Forbes. And from there, that really caught my attention because I had always been interested in cannabis on a recreational level, and I didn't really understand it from a medicinal standpoint. Nor did I really understand the social justice that needed to be implemented because of the war on drugs. I didn't understand any of that at that time. I just knew that I liked cannabis for me, and I wasn't even calling it that. I was calling it weed back then. You know, I, I I I didn't know any different. Um, so, but what I did know when I saw those charts of the growth of the industry and how we were in its infant stages, what I did know was, wow, I'm probably never going to have an opportunity to be a part of something that's going to grow to be so big and get in on the ground floor level. Normally industries this big, the only people who can play in it are the big boys, you know, that have millions and millions and millions of dollars or access to millions or billions of dollars. But I realized, okay, hope I'll have the you have the opportunity. If you get in early enough, you can become one of those people. You can become one of the bigger people in this industry. And I realized that I had a very small window. So I started doing my research and I figured out how the um, industry worked and how it went state by state because it was federally illegal, which intrigued me. I had never seen an industry be federally illegal but then still, you know, recognized on a mainstream level and, and states adopting it. I had never seen that. Of course, it's never happened in our lifetime. So, you know, I was I was just so intrigued by the way that the industry works, the economics behind it. And that's what really caught my attention first.
1: Were you seeing, um, were you getting requests for it in your prior job? Like were people starting to, Um, ask about it and you saw it that way and then said, Hey, maybe I should, you know, look at this or was it something you had sort of independently been looking at?
2: I definitely started seeing it on like, you know, CNBC and all, all the shows. So it was, it was starting to be talked about from an investment perspective, but no, at that time, it wasn't like at my investment bank, the hedge fund managers and mutual fund managers I was talking to were like, Hey, where's the cannabis research? Like, no, because there were no, there were no publicly traded cannabis companies at that point. So, you know, that came later. And, and technically, you know, the bank I worked with, they weren't trading on the CSE, the um, Canadian stock exchange. So they wouldn't have cared anyway. They're trading on the New York stock exchange. So they wouldn't, at, at, at my job, no. But it was definitely starting to be talked about within um, my my colleagues circles. Yeah. In, in finance, it was beginning to be discussed, which definitely helped um, me feel like this was something that I could really do and build a sustainable career. Because I, I realized, OK, people in my industry are looking at it. We're still early. But I knew my 22 year old self with not not having millions of dollars, hardly having any money at all. I knew that my time is now, and this is the only time I have. I, I realized that. That's one thing I knew from studying economics. If you don't get in on the ground floor level, you have to be a big boy. And I was like, I'm a little fish. So <laughs> I <laughs> this is the time that I have, and and I really went towards it. That's awesome.
1: So did you first start looking into getting a license and and retail operations? I mean, was that sort of your first obvious play or did you start somewhere else and come there?
2: Yeah, I definitely was. I immediately went towards plant touching. Um, I think I I was seeing that window and I was like, okay, I got to just get in. I wasn't thinking about all of the ancillary opportunities around and. Had I had started some ancillary ideas back then, by now could have been in a whole different place. So I definitely, uh, I don't want to say I regret, I don't regret anything because everything happens for a reason. But like I look back and I'm like, huh, I guess that wasn't my path because I wasn't thinking about that at all. I wasn't, all I was thinking about was I need to own a dispensary, I need to own a cultivation center, I need to own a processing center. I was not thinking about All of the other opportunities in the industry. So, um, yeah, I I definitely try now to uh, encourage people to look at all of the other opportunities that the industry brings, especially because the industry has matured immensely since 2014. It's a whole different ballgame. Um, which I knew was going to happen. And I knew that, you know, the pace of this industry was going to grow. I mean, people say it all the time that cannabis like right now is like dog years, one year, is like seven years. And I knew it was really going to be like that. So I, I was just so focused on that. I mean, hindsight, looking back, I, like I said, I wish I had kind of looked at the other things around me, but I wouldn't have been focused on what I was doing. And I may not have gotten here had I not been focused on this. Mm hmm.
1: And I know Mary and Maine is it's a family business that you started with your your mom Dr. Yes. Wiseman. So did you, was she your first phone call? Did you say, "Hey mom, I I I want to start this. What do you think?" I mean, how did tell us a little bit about those early days in that process of of how you got started and how you went after that license.
2: Yeah. So definitely my mom was my first phone call. Um, once I realized I wanted to do this, my mom and I have a very unique relationship. We are mother and daughter. We have that, a true mother and daughter relationship, but we are also friends um, Mm -hmm. and now business partners, um, confidants, all those things. So um, at that time, and I think around that time was when our friendship really became real, you know, outside of like just having a mother daughter relationship. So around 2014, around the time I graduated, that's when we really became friends. So you know, I'm talking to my mom every day and I I called her after, I took some time to introduce this to her because my mom was not, I think a lot of people are like, oh, your mom must be one of those cool moms that, and my mom is super cool, but um, no, she's not like, we, we were never like passing jays to each other growing up or anything like that. You know, like she's like a real mom that would have never allowed me to smoke weed if she had known that I was doing that at the time. Um, so when I introduced it to her, she was kind of like, eh, at first, but she's a medical professional. So I knew to approach her with statistics and, um, real measurable, um, uh, tactics that, that she could understand. Um, and she's also an entrepreneur and my mom raised me to be an entrepreneur as well. So I knew to come with her, come to her with numbers and, um, also, you know, just at the time, because you're getting Dr. Gupta doing these these um, uh, series, and you're getting you're seeing all these different things. I think she was more open to it because it was like, okay, not only is your bold, forward-thinking daughter coming to you with this idea, you're seeing it all over everywhere. The news, magazines, you're reading articles about it, and and I think she realized, wow, you know. And I'm showing her, look, our home state of Maryland is they just passed a bill. They're going to license companies by the end of next year. We have a little over a year to get ready, mom. And she's seeing all these things that are happening. She's seeing in the bill, they're, they're telling you how much money it's going to cost to do this. She's like, wow, this going to cost that much. These businesses are probably going to make a lot of money. And I'm like, look, I did the numbers. Yes, they will. And I showed her all of that. And she was, I mean, she, she immediately was like, let's go. I mean, I, I don't even, we didn't even look back. We never looked back. It's that's been six years now. That's, that's amazing. amazing. So then, so you applied for the license. It it
1: took you about a year, I'm guessing. And then, and then you got it.
2: Yeah. So we applied. So that was 2014. My mom and I had that conversation probably around the end of 2014. Um, we applied in the, at the uh, November, 2015. That's when the applications went in. We were notified that we won in December of 2016. So wow. one year, one full year later. And then we opened our doors, and there was a lot of stuff that happened in between. There, winning and opening the doors, um, September 2018. So it was a very long process.
1: Okay. And so then, Sumerian so Maine opened September 2018. Tell me a little bit about what that looks like. How do you have a cultivation at this time? How how big is the shop? I mean, what's what what was kind of the first stages to opening? And and tell me what about about leading up exactly to opening your doors? What was that kind of month like?
2: Yeah, so um, we spent, like I said, we were licensed at the end of 2016, so December 2016. So we spent a year and a half. Um, The first year we pretty much spent trying to find a a location. That's almost all we did for a year. I was focused on trying to build SOPs and build out operations for a business that I didn't even really, uh, I had never run before. So that was funny. Um, I look back at all the the work I did pre-opening um, and I'm like, well, I could have just not did that. Um, <laughs> everything is a learning experience, you know? So I spent a year trying to learn as much as I could and had to relearn everything by the time that, you know, I, I actually opened. But we spent a year looking for a building and then we spent, um, well, maybe not a full year, we probably spent seven months looking for a building and then the rest of the time with the building it out. Um, in the meantime, during that time, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Wow. So we were, I mean, and my mom is, a, my mom's a warrior, like she, and she's in the front. Um. So she's, my mom is not, uh, not one of those types of people. My mom is right in the front. She's leading the troops Um. right next to me. So even when she was going through her cancer battle and all of the things that she was going through, my mom, I mean, she'd go through a chemo treatment and maybe stay home for two days. And then the next day, she's, you know, two days, she's at the store, bossing the general contractor around. That's just how we are. That's how we're built. We are fighters and warriors. So that time was like, it, and our store manager is my mother's best friend um, and someone that's been in my life since I can remember. Um, so, and he's an interior designer by trade. He worked before he worked for us. He uh, did events and um, his main job was uh, designing commercial um, commercial buildings and doing the interior design for commercial buildings. So, I mean, that was perfect for us. So my mom, Dexter, um, kind of took over our build out project and they, they, were, they were awesome during that time. And my mom was battling cancer through it all. So it was um, just such a character building time for our company. And I think it really built our family culture because we had to stick together and lean on each other so much. Um, we, we don't have huge financial backers. There are three owners, myself, my mother, and then Dr. Larry Bryant, and then our store manager at the time. It was just us four in the company. Um, and we were having to figure it all out and we were having to do it on a shoestring budget. Cause we didn't, like I said, we had about $2 million to this project and that is it. And we had to purchase our building because of different reasons. And it was a lot of things. So, I mean, we were really doing our best to stay afloat and all at the same time that this was happening, I was getting this, uh, I was getting a lot of media attention because I was, uh, you know, an article had been uh, published about me being the youngest African American woman in the space. Mm So then, like, my media presence blew up. I'm getting interviews left and right. It was really emotionally taxing on everyone, because, you know, I was having to put myself out there. Meanwhile, I'm worried about, is my mother going to survive while we're trying to build this business that we put all of our money into? I was emotionally drained. I was, um tired and i was trying to pour so much into other people and i was scared to enter into this new stage of my life i was scared like should i be should i have a real job right now you know what should i be doing and i really had to just lean on my faith in god and um i i i'm so i look back i'm like wow i don't know how we got through those, those two years of of limbo that was rough because a lot of stuff was thrown at us. I think that uh, we were, uh, we were being tested and trying to be broken and we have emerged uh, from that. And I mean, I'm so proud of where we are today. That's so amazing. And thank you
1: for sharing that. I know, I know some people say entrepreneurship is like um, building the plane while you're flying it. Yeah. And then it's you add, you know, stress with family and health and money. I mean, it's, it's really a lot. So that that certainly takes a lot of courage to do. Um, but amazing that, that you guys made it through. So, and, and to clarify, so your mom, uh, she was a dentist, is a dentist Mm -hmm. and she had practice. And then did she totally leave that and and shut that
2: down to jump in? No. So, um, you know, she still had her practice when she was diagnosed, she had to stop practicing Um, She had, she got another dentist in her practice to fulfill it. Um, Since then, Uh since then she is now in remission. She is um, cancer free Uh currently. Um, Uh She is not practicing a full time still. So she still runs her practice, but she has another dentist in there. Um, She might be hiring a a second dentist and have two, but yeah. So she, she's taken a big step back from dentistry, but she's not all the way out. Um, And my mom always says, well, you know what? I always have these hands that always have that talent. I can always go back to doing that. But um, I think we've really found our passion in what we're doing. And we both love helping other people. We both love the idea that we are building something um, that can be passed down for generations within our family. And we both have a passion to teach other people how to build something like that. Not necessarily a cannabis business, but maybe for their families. We both have that passion. So... Um, I think that she just, I I feel like I'm living in my purpose. And my mom said to me that now in her late fifties, that she feels like she is living her purpose too. So it just makes me feel so like, I mean, I I might be a little bit emotional right now because I, man, I couldn't imagine. I feel blessed that I found mine so early in life. And I feel even more blessed that I've allowed my mother to find hers before she leaves this earth.
1: That's so beautiful. I, that's so beautiful. Um, so tell me a little bit about about Mary and maine. how did you How did you come to the name? Tell us about your mission um, and and a little bit about you know kind of the brand and the feel? I mean, how did you take this energy and this passion and turn it into the the physicality of a storefront in your story? I mean, how did that transformation happen?
2: Yeah. So originally we applied under the name and our holding company is still um, under somewhat of the name, Compassionate Herbal Alternatives. Um, CHA, we go by CHA. That's our, like our, our overarching our name. Um, and when I remember that's how we won and everything, we were opening up the store. And I remember sitting my mom and Dr. Bryant, the three principals down. And I just was like, Guys, I don't think um, CHA is, that's not it. I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it as like the actual brand name. I don't feel it. And they were all like, why not? I said, it just doesn't, I don't feel, it doesn't feel friendly. It doesn't feel like us. We are, I mean, you, they are both doctors. Dr. Bryant is an oral surgeon. My mom is a general dentist. Um, I was like, you know, you guys are both doctors and we definitely want that, but we want people to feel comfortable. Cannabis is already taboo. We want them to feel very comfortable coming here, not like they're going to the doctor, not like they're going to the dentist. Cause I was like, I love you both, but um, a lot of people don't like going to the dentist. I was like, I don't want people to feel like that. And I feel like Compassionate Herbal Alternatives gives me that feeling. So I, when we were kind of thinking about what we wanted to do, I thought about all of the the feeling I wanted to invoke, to invoke on people. Um, the, the first color that came to mind was blue because it's very calming, bluish green because of cannabis you know so we came up with this teal color and Marion and Maine came from the idea we were kind of talking about how cannabis isn't mainstream yet and how we're trying to kind of eliminate the stigma and bring it to uh, the the average person and not necessarily even the person who's currently using cannabis but someone who could really benefit from the medicinal benefits of cannabis, but is afraid to use it. And I, you know, I thought to myself, well, I was like the, top of, the type of people who would come to Mary and Maine that fit that bill are the same type of women and, and, and people that would shop at Joss and Maine. That's what I said. And my mom goes, huh, Mary and Maine would be cool. Cause like Mary Jane. And I was like, Mary and Maine, I like that. And that's how it was birthed. Um, and I believe in our shop, you know, Dexter really did a good job of of making it friendly and feel warm. We have a lot of, um, it's a lot of gray tones, um, but then we have this warm wood color throughout the store too. So there's there's this really warm and uh, and calming feeling in in our shop. And um, I've had people say it's almost spa-like versus head shoppy. Um, It's, you know, and really try and maintain that sense of like calmness. So when you come in the store, even when it's busy and all that, I tell, you know, we call them experience agents, but what most people know is blood tenders. And all of this is, uh, is a way of marketing, right? You know, like calling people under certain names because it gets your patients. They hear us call each other experience agents. They're going to think, oh, experience agents, what does that mean? We're providing you an experience. Um, we are here to serve you. And I think those types of things are what, I think the the media presence and a lot of people wanting to support an African-American-owned, family-owned shop, women, you know, we're, we're women, we are a family and we're black. So I think a lot of people just like the idea of supporting someone who is such an anomaly in this industry. And then on top of that, when they come, it's like, oh, wow, this is like actually nice. I think I was expecting this to be a little you know, hole in the wall or whatever it might be, but it's not, it's it's, it's beautiful. We have about, um, the building total is about 6,000 square feet and we have about three, maybe 2,500 3,000 of it for the actual dispensary space that people actually walk in. But um, I think we've done a really good job at really finding that sense of calmness and comfortability in the store.
1: That's really cool.
2: Um, did
1: you come up with the the whole concept and brand and colors, you know, yourself internally as a team, or did you guys hire outside an agency or or marketing professionals to do that?
2: So we definitely um, hired outside. So that we have a lot of skills on our team. We do, but um, yeah, not creating logos and and, um, those things. That's not our strong suit. So definitely know your strong suits and um, outsource the rest. But yeah, we definitely um, thought through the concept and we knew kind of the color scheme that we wanted to go to It's funny because the designer was really trying to get us to go towards pink. And, you know, I well, you don't know me well, but I love pink. So I was like, you know, I was like, yeah, pink. And my mom and Dr. Bryant were looking like, are you kidding me? Like, absolutely not. And now I look back, I'm like, that probably wasn't the most inclusive color, especially the way our logo and our brand is. I don't know if pink would have fit. I think pink works with certain brands like a T-Mobile that works. Um, There's a cannabis brand, a a black owned cannabis brand in California called Good Tree LA. Good Tree is pink. That works, you know, but Mary and Ming wouldn't have worked pink. It would have been too girly. Um, so, you know, I think we, we've all had to like weigh in and all that, but we definitely hired, um, outsourced and we just found, we found someone that worked really well with us. And since then, um, you know, now we work a lot more internally. We, we have some people on our team now that have some graphic designing skills and we have a digital marketing team that we work with for our, um, social media marketing, email marketing, and they do some of our in-store stuff as well in our website. Awesome.
1: So, so once you've launched, you've got the store open, you've got this new brand, this new spa, like look and feel. Tell me about some of the ways you, you market and reach the community. How, how does Mary and Maine reach out to the residents of Prince George's County in Maryland and tell them about what it is you do? I mean, what are, what are kind of the first steps? I know Maryland is a, is a medical program, right? Um, That's a, that's different than just saying, Hey, anyone 21 plus come, you know, come in and, and see what we're about. Um. What are some of the the ways you guys approach marketing?
2: Yeah. So marketing um, in cannabis is really regulated by the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so Maryland has. They didn't come out with a lot of uh, regulations around marketing at first, and then later realized when they started started seeing billboards go up and all these different things, it's like, huh, maybe we gotta regulate this. <laughs> so yeah. so they started um, introducing different legislation and these like. They weren't even bills. It was the the Maryland Medical Cannabis Commission introducing policy that got voted on that later would be introduced as a bill and maybe enacted by the governor, right? So we started going to a lot of um, those meetings and helping to influence it. But for us, the things that we found that have worked for us so we can't do typical social media marketing. You can't boost ads on Facebook or Instagram if you're selling cannabis. And even on your feed or in your store, you have to be careful about putting prices or really um, marketing to sell. So our goal normally when we're doing any type of marketing is to push people to our website because and our email list and our text message list because those are places that we own that we control and we can do and say whatever we want we can say this is for sale come here now to there versus you put that on instagram you're getting your account shut down so our instagram we focus more on educational content and just like awareness content branding stuff pictures of our store hey you know see you later come on come in today shop with us but no what we're selling on there. Um, we focus on those types of things on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, no actual dollar amounts. We never put a dollar sign in there. I feel like a dollar sign is a clear way to get your, um, your yeah. account flag. Um, any types of like two for this, this percent off, anything like that on social media will get your account shut down. Um, and, and even you got to be careful with certain pictures, you know, it, it's, it's really, really nuanced. You've seen people with with thousands of followers get uh, disabled on instagram and, and Facebook and stuff. So you gotta really be careful. Like I said, we we focus a lot of the social media marketing on pushing people to the list that we control in the assets we control, like our website, email, and text message marketing. Um, as far as email, you know we send out email newsletters with new announcements and all that fun stuff. We do, um, our website is constantly updated and our menu is there. So we're constantly pushing people to our menu. And especially right now while we're dealing with COVID-19, you know, we, 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 before COVID, we were having a hard time getting our patients to adapt to ordering ahead online. Now they're very used to it and I think they like the speed of it. And I think it will continue even after. So we push people to our menu online. And then a, a big form of marketing for us is our text message marketing. It has really, I, I, at least here in Maryland, and I'm hearing in other states, it's also like this. It has really become a, a something in the morning where patients wake up and they're like looking through all their texts like, oh, I wonder what the sales are today. So, um, you know, text message marketing is huge. When when they don't get a text, our patients come in, they're like, what was the special of the day? You know, like, what, what, what happened to my text? So... Text message marketing is huge in cannabis, which I, you know, sometimes I'm just like, I cannot believe people want to get all these texts all day, but they do. So um, that that's really worked for us well. We've seen a, an immediate uptick when we started using it. That's
1: awesome. Um, so do you guys, you also mentioned that you have a digital marketing team. Is that largely in those three channels you mentioned, website, email, and text, or do you do uh, much digitally beyond that?
2: So we we do our text message marketing in house mainly. Um, they mainly focus on our email marketing, social social media through all of our social channels as well as um, our website. They also help us with SEO things like that. So anything digital, they are pretty much anything in the on the internet. They are pretty much working with us to develop those things. Um we we do some in-store marketing and physical marketing. We have uh, like we sell um hemp-based CBD products. We have a huge banner on the side of our store um showing that. We don't have any billboards at the moment. Technically our county does not allow for them. However, people have found loopholes. We just are not, you know, we we're, we're not doing that right now. We're following the rules to a T. Um and we do, we do some other forms of marketing. We do a lot of collaborations with local mm-hmm. businesses. Um, because right now, because we are not recreational, right, we're not adult use. So like you said, it's not like you can just say, hey, anyone over 21, stop in our store. So uh, we, we really focus on um, our local community right now, because those are the people that are going to shop with us. Those are the people that are going to come back constantly, because at the end of the day, too, every dispensary in Maryland, we're all selling the same products, pretty much. We we get, you know, we got about 20 options. So, yes, there's some variety, but to an extent, I mean, it's the same products and the same brands. So uh, a lot of it is, of course, it's pricing, but a lot of us are selling around the same prices as well. Um, a lot of it is location. So we just focus yeah. on the people who are closest to us. We partner with local businesses. We, are, we do uh, free educational classes. We focus on really um, just involving the community and making sure they understand what cannabis is. And we feel like that's the best form of marketing, the, the free educational um, classes. And one thing we're developing right now is a uh, YouTube series of just educational content, just free educational content. And I believe that uh, the more content you put out, whether it be um, curated and really planned out or even just like documenting what you're going through, I think people just like to feel connected to your brand. So that's something that we're working on as a company. Um, And it gets difficult, you know, in cannabis because you are busy most of the time. You know, you're trying, you're doing a lot. A lot of times people are just not adequately staffed. So it's not like you have a person that can just walk around taking videos all day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to kind of find that balance. Um, and I think that we have quite a few, we, have, I mean, we just have loyal patients um, and we are working to kind of build that presence so that we are able to build and grow uh, within the state. And then also we're trying to grow our brand nationally. So digital, uh, having that strong digital presence and I think a strong video specific presence is a great way to be able to expand your brand past even where you are at the moment. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm really glad you mentioned collaboration
1: with local businesses. And I'm I'm assuming you mean non-cannabis businesses. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh can you talk a little bit? Is there any you know specific collaboration you've been particularly proud of or initiative you've done that that has seen success and um you know tell the viewers a little bit about
2: how to approach that? Yeah. So um, I've, I've seen a few things be really successful. So we, on, on any big day for us, so like, let's say not this year for 420, but 420, um, our grand opening, things like that. We normally do some type of like community event in our parking lot. Our parking lot is huge. Um, we'll have something for kids. We'll have normally some type of musical entertainment, maybe let some vendors come of local companies, some like CBD, hemp related, some not. Um, just local businesses, so that's a good way to just get other businesses involved, and then they're going to bring their customers to that, and then those customers, whether they have a medical card or not, are going to be inquiring about your services. So it might be a long-term, you know, acquisition process for those people that you attract, but it it, it starts the process. Um, we've brought in fitness instructors and yoga instructors. We have a, a space upstairs at our store, and that they bring their clients, you know, to our location, and that allows for it. So um, and, and that works if you have space in your location to be able to allow industry groups or, um, different things to have meetings at your store, that is how you can bring, you know, cause I've had a few different industry groups say, oh, I know you have that space upstairs. It fits about 50 people. Can we hold our meeting here? I'm like, yeah, of course. Those are all medical patients. They're going to probably shop with us before or after the meeting. Of course. So I think that's a great way as well when you're talking about collaborations, whether they're in the industry or not. And then outside of the industry, when we do the large events, um, we just try and partner with all the businesses around us. So we have, there's a, a chicken spot right next to us called Sardi's, a Peruvian chicken spot. And I mean, like, everybody loves it. The lines are always packed. So whenever we do an event, we always go partner with Sardi's. And and I mean, it helps to really, really boost um, you know, the turnout and all those things, because if they can go right across the street and get some free starties and, you know, they're going to they're going to come in. So I think just finding little ways like that to collaborate with different companies and businesses. Um, and then sometimes, um, you know, we, we, of course, sponsor events as well. Local community events, sponsor them. And we work with well we worked with um, our local area, Prince George's County, um, the executive office and sponsored some of their events. So, I think just a more awareness, even if people are just looking at your brand is, is very, very helpful um, and collaborating with the businesses that are directly near you because they're going to see the synergies and the more people like for Sardis, they're like, well, the more people who come to Marion, Maine, the more people who are going to see Sardis. So we want you guys to do well. And that's, I think, finding those businesses that are directly like next to you. Um, you guys will bring synergies to each other, um, and you can find ways to work together there.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, you also mentioned a little bit earlier about CBD and hemp and how you sell those products as well. And I think there's a perception out there, you know, if you're, if you own a dispensary and you're a dispensary marketing, it's THC, THC, THC. Um, and those two are very different categories Do you tease those out when, when you approach your marketing plan, how you advertise those products versus your THC products? And if so, can you talk a little bit about, um, the differences?
2: Yeah, so we do, we do. Um, we've kind of, we just really began carrying, um, CBD derived from hemp. So we always sold CBD derived from real cannabis that had more than, I don't want to say real cannabis, like (laughs) hemp is not cannabis, but you know what I mean? Um, we've, we've made up this 03 percent line in the sand um but yeah so we've always sold cbd rich products that had more than 0.3 percent thc but that conversation with people who don't necessarily understand what that means is very difficult so we realized let's go ahead and carry um hemp derived cbd um as well as we have a lot of people who just come in the store who see the signs and stuff. they come in the store and they don't have a medical card yet but they are still looking for some sort of relief we can sell them CBD products, um, that may work for them. We never push it on people that we don't think it would work for though. So, you know, yeah. we like to hear people's, um, situations cause some people need the the THC in their product, um, for whatever reason, maybe not a strong dose of it, but some version of it. Um, but I'd say, you know, when advertising with CBD, honestly, you're running into almost the same exact advertising restrictions. You can't, I mean, because on these algorithms and bots that are looking for the cannabis related information honestly cannot decipher the difference between CBD and hemp. You'd have to go and and uh, appeal the decision if your Instagram was shut down. So I mean, it is very difficult. I wouldn't suggest even trying to sell hemp online either, um, at least not on a social site. I, I think it has to go through the same channels. The difference is with CBD and hemp, you can sell, you can literally have a merchant processing online. Um, that process is not difficult, Is not easy either. It's not as, as simple as getting a, a Stripe account. Stripe doesn't allow CBD yeah. in there. They don't allow cannabis related at all. I sell cannabis courses, right, online. My Stripe account got shut down. Selling a course is not selling weed, but they, they associate these things. So um, finding a payment processor is very difficult. Um, oftentimes you have to pay much higher fees, um, and, and have an account that's like in England or something, you know, so it's, it's definitely, um, more difficult to figure out how to actually sell your products online. Um, it's just difficult. That's a difficult, difficult market because it's saturated as well. Everybody and their mother is selling CBD products. And a lot of people don't even know what CBD is. They don't even know if their products have CBD in it for real. They don't know how to read the COAs. Everyone's like, Oh, I have a COA. I'm like, what does it say? (laughs) tell me what that says do you know what that says (laughs) besides that point where you're reading where it says under you know no THC content you know what what does it say you know tell me what that reads and I think we have to um if you're gonna sell CBD you need to really understand those things and then you have to figure out you just the main the hardest part about selling CBD is figuring out how to legitimize your business so like if you're getting online getting a, a merchant account processor and I mean, I'd say that's probably the hardest part about it, getting a merchant account processor. And then from there, figuring out how to differentiate differentiate yourself in a saturated market yeah. um, and being sure that your product is really good quality. And it actually works because a lot of people are just jumping on because it's a good industry and it's, you know, it, it's sexy and it's booming, you know, but it's like we don't need any more snake oil. There's plenty of that at 7-Eleven in the gas station. You know, we don't need you to sell that. Um, And we don't need you to market us fake lies and tell us that this is going to be the cure all for everything. Like, first off, this hemp-based CBD is probably not even going to work that well for whatever. (laughs) You need some THC to activate that CBD, but people don't understand that. (laughs) Yep. Mm hmm
1: that's true. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up. And she's re- when she says COA, she's referring to the certificate of analysis, which is the lab test results that actually say what is in that product. And COAs test for heavy metals. They test for residuals. They test for is there CBD in this? And I know we've seen in the media lately, um, you know, investigations where they go randomly test a bunch of products in the market and a shocking, shocking majority of them don't have CBD in it. Um, so there's definitely a big educational gap between the consumers in the industry that, um, is, needs to be balanced, needs yeah. to be balanced. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so before we wrap up, could, could you talk a little bit about advice that you would give to new cannabis business owners? I mean, now that you're a few, you know, you're well into this, According to dog years, you know, you're there, you're doing it. Um, what advice would you give to those who are were in your position four or five years ago, um, particularly when it comes to marketing and advertising about where to start and how to approach um, their
2: business? So I would say the very first place you have to start, of course, is the regulations. Make sure you have a really good understanding of the regulations and figure out too, um, are they set in stone or are they evolving? Most likely, they're still evolving. You know, no program is really set in stone at this point. So that means that you have to, you have two things that you have to do. You have the opportunity to influence these regulations around advertising and marketing, um, and you should really think about what you want and also what is feasible. You know, why that there are these restrictions, and come with a solution that could potentially be um, accepted and. I would really be pushing forward with what I wanted to see because I mean, I don't think people understand how much power we have when it comes to that. Like we can, you know, we can make our laws and regulations, but um, almost if you, you almost can, if you have the right relationships with your um, state legislators, I mean, you can. So I would tell people to focus on that um, as early Later in the game, we can get creative and come up with really dope marketing strategies and campaigns and all that fun stuff. But uh, none of that's going to work. If you can't even if you have this huge idea to put up this billboard, you can't even put up billboards. That's not going to work. So I would focus on the regulations first so that I can influence them and then to understand. them. So then you can figure out. You know, I always say us entrepreneurs, we're smarter than I, well, this, sometimes I, I have to censor myself, but I'm going to just say it. we're smarter than legislators because we get our industries. We know our industries. They're having to make up bills about everything, you know, so they have to learn a little bit about everything. We know the cannabis industry. So as long as we understand those rules, we can find the I don't want to say loopholes like you're trying to, um, to to get over on anybody. But you can just find the, the lane. that OK, that is going to work for, for my business. Um, so then my, my second piece of advice besides know the regulations, is to figure out what works for your business and your customer base. So whoever your customer is, I would define them out to the point of like what type of music they like to listen to, um, where they like to go shop when they're not shopping with you, like literally make a whole profile and try and understand, um, your customer base. And maybe there's like five different profiles of customers. Maybe there's four. I feel like at Mary and Maine, we have about four different types of customers. Um, and we really define that person. Like, I feel like I know that person. And almost when people can walk in, I'm like, okay, that's the suit. You know what I mean? That, and we name them, you know, and we that's a suit. Yeah, and I know, okay, this is how we treat suits. And this is what we do for suits because they like X, Y, and Z. So I would really define who my customer is and then define how I market to that person, how I greet that person in the store, how I, um, you know, how I explain different things. We have one customer profile that they don't want to hear all that extra stuff. They don't want to even be greeted too much. They really want you to just get their medicine and go. And they want you to already know what they want. They want you to read their mind. Um, They're they're a little short and snappy. But as soon as you get them saying, you know, you you really understand them, then that's the same patient that comes in and wants to talk for 30 minutes because they're like, oh, that's my homie. That's my friend now because they get me. Yeah. So, you know, you just really have to understand your people and that takes time. It doesn't come uh, quickly and easy. It takes time. And and it takes um it takes you going through different things with different types of people and different types of customers. So, we're still developing that. Almost 2 years in, we're still developing who exactly our customer base is. And honestly, as soon as we go adult use here in Maryland within the next 2-3 years, that's probably going to shift a lot too and we're going to have to revamp. So, um yeah I think those are my two biggest pieces of advice really understand your customer base and then build your marketing strategy directed towards those people in their core who they really are and then um, understand your regulations and what you really can and can't do so that you're not in a position where you know you think you're killing it and the next thing you know you get that sign on your door you got to close your doors because you have billboards everywhere. I remember we even one point, one time we had like these little lawn signs that we put up and down the street that we were on. I mean, like you couldn't go down that street and not see a very Main sign. Um, one day they came knocking on a door. You got to take all those down, all of them. We're like, oh. Then we tried to get you know those little signs that flap in the wind. Um, we tried to put we put those up right in our own um in our own lawn up, you got to take those down, can't have visible signs without a permit, and we're not giving permits to cannabis companies, it's like, uh, okay, you know, you just really got to really understand what it is, so you don't get fined, and all that fun stuff, too. That's a great point,
1: and I want to follow up on your point about um, the, the regulators and the legislators, and how I do think we as marketers, and as entrepreneurs in this space, have an obligation and a responsibility to educate them as well. Um, I know a lot of the marketing and advertising restrictions, they're, they're really designed to protect children so that information doesn't get into the wrong hands, but they also need that information around how can it get into the right ha- hands and how can this properly be communicated. And they are legislating everything. So it is up to us in the cannabis industry, I think, to, to bridge that gap, make that handshake and connect with them and let them know, hey, here's here's where our line is, here's what works and um, educate them so that together we can really build this moving forward because industry just does move faster than government. And so we, we have that responsibility to turn around and educate them because we are learning. And I know us in Colorado, we've seen so many examples where entrepreneurs have gone in, had that conversation and things have changed and they can't change slower than we like, but they do change and they can change quickly and have measurable impact on on our business. So I just want to really validate what you've said, because I think that's a a really great and meaningful point. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, Hope, before we wrap up, is there anything else you would like to mention? Anything else you would like to say to the viewers, either
2: about Marion Maine or marketing that, um, we didn't cover today? Yeah. So, um, because of COVID and the fact that we couldn't have 420 events, I decided to create an event called the 420 Experience, um, which I held on the 19th and 20th. Um, I had over 50 speakers from the industry and outside of the industry, but subject matter experts in their own right. We covered topics um, like in the business field, in lifestyle and cannabis policy conversations as well as we had some science-based presentations and workshops and panels. I mean, it was awesome. And I'm so excited because I am turning it into a community where we're gonna have monthly meetup events um, and it's all gonna be virtual. I I love the idea that um, I had people from Israel, Spain, the Netherlands, Australia, Canada, all of that at the event. We had over 500 people register. So I'm really excited to be able to continue uh, a global cannabis conversation where we're going to continue to build community within this industry, because I believe that community is how we are going to expand this industry past uh, where it is now. And we're going to get it to that next level of being one of these multi-billion dollar industries that kind of has changed the, the, the landscape of what a CEO has looked like. Um, so I'm excited to be able to, to, to to curate that and there will be more announcements about it, but if you want to learn more about it, definitely follow me on Instagram. That is where I am the most active at I am hope so dope. Um, and then if you want to learn more about Mary and Maine, you can always find us on Instagram, Twitter, um, and our website, Mary and Maine, M A R Y A N D M A I N. And um, yeah, I mean, we are really finding ways to connect with more people. So that's what the 420 experience is all about. And the 420 community is going to be, we're going to launch it in June. And I'm just excited to to be able to bring uh, people together from different places to discuss topics that we really care about. Um, And if you're interested in, in seeing the replay of the conference, like I said, there's over 24 hours of content. I had Angela Rye host a conversation with myself about um, policy as well as my my vision for myself and the future of cannabis. I had had all different types of people throughout the industry come by and different conversations on uh, licensing, ancillary products, CBD, hemp farming. Uh, We had a how to roll a joint class, cooking with cannabis. Um, exercise in cannabis. And we had someone lead a workout and then talk about his use, a a former NFL player who was the first uh, active NFL player to advocate for cannabis. I mean, we had everything. So if you're interested in the replays, you can also pick that up at the link in my bio um, on my Instagram. So that was a mouthful. I'm sorry, but definitely just keep following me. I'm, I'm not, done i am in the beginning of my journey so keep following i want to help you um get to where you're going i want to help you figure out how to market uh your business and how to start your business
1: awesome well thank you so much hope it has been such a pleasure to have you today
2: me too
0: thank you thank you thank you for listening did you like this video give us a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel on youtube spotify and apple music you can learn more at thecannabismarketingassociation.com and find us on social media at, at Cannamarketing and at Cannabis Marketing Summit. And don't forget to buy tickets to our annual virtual Cannabis Marketing Summit this June.